White. Um, yeah, our, our girls are grown and married now. And if you would like to see my picture of my grandbaby, I started to say just ask, but you didn't ask. But anyway, um, yeah, Miss Harlan, she's, she's uh, 16, 17 months. And uh, hollers, Papa, Papa, Papa. And uh, so it's, it's good. And uh, there are good things in every season of life. Amen. It is um, a real honor uh, to be with you today. I, I was thinking, for one thing, um, of course, I've spent a number of years now as a pastor. And uh, these times are just important. Uh, it's not just a matter of a pat on the back for the pastor and his wife. Uh, though they need that, uh, we all need that from time to time, and a word of encouragement. But um, these days kind of s- help to seal that special covenant relationship between a pastor and church. And that's important, and that matters. One of the chief means of God's grace in most people's life is the local church. In other words, one of the biggest ways God touches you is through your church and through the pastor. And uh, stuff flows down from the head. And so it's, it's important for that reason and a big deal for that reason. And I was thinking particularly for Pastor Sean and Angie, and I appreciate their kids uh, who are adults now. But uh, I grew up as a PK, so I know the sacrifice that they make for their dad, mom and dad, to walk in their calling. And uh, there's just a whole lot that goes with that that you're not always aware of uh, if you don't do ministry full time. And um, so I honor them. But uh, especially with Pastor Sean and Angie, we are uh, very much of like spirit uh, to the point that Pastor Sean and I don't allow our wives to get together very often. Because it gets scary real quick, if because they're too much alike, <laughs> and uh, it just it gets dangerous. So we don't we don't let them even get together real often. And uh, but we honor them, and uh, to the point, and that's the highest compliment that I I know how to give when I I say of of like spirit to the point that uh, a lot of time, of course, we're in the same kind of denominational circle, and so pretty often. Our churches do things together. We do worship. We're asked to do worship at denominational events and stuff. And a lot of times we'll end up, Parkway and Freedom Point, we'll end up partnering together here from our region to do that. And, of course, all of that flows down from leadership. And uh, the reason we're able to do that is because we're as much of like spirit as we are. And uh, that flows down to our our people and the churches that we pastor. And uh, so we're... uh, uh, just, just honored to, to get to be here today, and I left my pulpit with my associate pastor and uh, came to be with you today because we wanted to honor them, because we take that, that seriously. And um, so there's some things that I want to share, but before we do that, and I did this in the first service, I'm going to do it again, I want to pray for them, uh, not as much because I think they need that much prayer, Uh, as for the fact that I want to give you the opportunity to pray for them because that's something that you should be doing. 
on a regular basis. Um, I have thought, so let's just stand together, and I want them to come and stand if they will. And uh, if some of you want to join us, you can, or if you at least want to reach your hand this way. But I thought so many times, you know, we think in the Old Testament of, um, in fact, Nicholas, why don't you just come back to the keyboard a second for me, would be great. Thank you. Um, I thought so many times of Samson in the Old Testament who was so remembered for his strength. But he also had his weaknesses. And um, we remember all of that from the story of Samson. But the thing that I've thought about so many times from the life of Samson is you never, he was known to be so strong, he had his weaknesses. But you never read where anybody was praying for him, working with him, trying to help him. They pretty much just left him to do it on his own. And it didn't, it didn't turn out well. Um, you know, this, this is not a one-man show. We've had times in the body of Christ when we tried to build church around celebrity, and those days are over. They really are. Um, Nobody's that strong to do it all themselves. And um, so one of the things that you need to be doing is regularly praying for your pastor, praying for his family, because this really is, when we understand it right, it is a covenant relationship. And that's serious business. And I've always said, um, I've not moved a whole lot. I've moved a time or two. When God directed our lives that way. But I've never really been a short-term pastor because most of this is just long-term work. I mean, it really is. It, it's, you're talking about over a period of years. And, um, but I, I, you know, I, I've always said, I am... I am here until I've done what God sent me here to do. Whether that's two years or 22 years. And, um, and now, more than ever in my life, I feel like I'm home and, and, and all of that. And I love Corbin. I love this city. And I don't say that lightly. And there's probably a lot of people who have lived here all their life. It took me a while to get here, but you know you got to go through here to get to heaven. And um, I don't know if there's anybody that loves or prays any more than I do, even including people who have lived here all their lives than I do for this city. Um, I tell, we say it jokingly. I'm probably really not joking. I tell my people quite often. I just figure if God can take fried chicken from here and send it around the world, surely we can have a move of God that is declared around the world. I go on, I'm not joking, I go on mission trips around the world. Where are you from? Oh, and I tell them, oh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's what you always get. They know this place. And God's put us in this place. He's put these people over you. You need to honor you're going to get everything God has for you. 
man, the older I've gotten, the more I've learned that. You know, we're this is a team. We're doing this together. God has put us together. And, uh, you know, of course, I pastor in this city, too. And we're not in competition. There's enough lost people to go around us to more than fill all our churches. And uh, so I just want you to either pray or at least reach your hand this way. If you get a chance today or in the next day or two to make contact or shoot them a text, I'm going to tell you something. Those words of appreciation go a long way. And uh, you know what keeps me going? Because we've had, I've had people be mean to my family and my wife and the whole deal, my kids, all that stuff that goes with it at times. You know what keeps me going? Life change. When I see people change for the glory of God. Not because I did anything, but that I, that I see people's life changed. That's what keeps me going. Reach your hand this way. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this family today. And I bless them, Lord. I bless them, Lord, as we're even co-laborers in this city and in this region. God, I pray that you pour in the oil and the wine. I pray that you'd anoint them with fresh oil. We are end-time messengers living in the final hours of human history. Living in the final hour. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for her today. I pray for you to strengthen her. God, you know what she carries watching what her husband goes through. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her. I thank you for this family and the anointing that has passed from generation to generation. God, we bless them, and I just declare today that their most fruitful days are ahead of them and not behind them. That their most fruitful time is not yesterday, but it is now and the days to come. In Jesus' name, give them souls for their hire. Lord, I pray for sovereign connections. Lord, for you to put them in people's lives where it will make a difference. God, I bless them today, and I pray for strength and courage. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let them know you love them one more time. Remain standing with me, for those of you who are seated. Kidding. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 38. We'll begin at verse 1. There are some things that uh, I feel like I'd like to share today. I appreciate the staff and volunteers and people who have made all this happen today. I know what goes into that and doing it with excellence. We appreciate that. And honor that. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart 
and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. I love that. I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. I want us to pray together. I, uh, I'm not accustomed to doing a double header. On Sunday, and uh, but I just got cranked up the first time, so I'm ready to roll. So I hope you're ready. Lord, we thank you for your touch today and your presence and the unity and the love and all of that. We thank you, Lord, for this pastor and his family who have surrendered to their call and uh, your call and the price that goes with that. I bless them today. God, I pray that this word would be life-giving. I don't want to just go through the motions on Sunday. Lord, I want there to be stuff that the Holy Spirit causes to bubble back up and resurface in people and their hearts and minds all week long. That is life-giving and brings change. God, I pray that you'll do something. We need you in this hour. God, we've seen what we can do, and it's not good. And uh, we, we need you in this hour. And God, I pray for you to touch us. And that it would be life-changing and impactful today, as only your Holy Spirit can do. I need your touch. Lord, may all the glory go to you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless somebody as you're being seated today. Tell them, God bless you. I want to preach and share my heart for a few minutes with the Lord's help this morning on prayer changes things. Prayer changes. Say it with me. Prayer changes things. Say it again. Prayer changes things. This thing of prayer, I've long felt a call to prayer. And uh, I really believe, and I don't say this lightly, it is more important that I know how to pray than it is that I know how to preach. And I try to live by that. And in the Word, not just have not just to have a, a prayer time or a prayer life, but to live a life of prayer. And there are levels of that. And um, folks, we've gotten to a point now, in case you hadn't noticed, it's scary out there. And uh, if God doesn't intervene, we're in trouble. And one of the things that has been much on my heart as a pastor and I'm sure Pastor Sean and others have felt this. When all this stuff started hitting, pandemic, political upheaval, civil unrest, I didn't want to scare my people, but I did want to prepare them because I was concerned that a lot of them weren't ready. And I'm not trying to scare you today, but God does speak to us to prepare us. And things have been going south a long time, but it's gotten real, real quick. And... Uh, but I, I am a believer that if, folks, if prayer doesn't do it, ain't nothing else going to do it. And we've tried everything else and every plan and program coming and going, 
we've got to pray. And I'm not just talking about some lay me down to sleep, God is good, God is great prayer. I'm talking about a prayer like Isaiah, or like Hezekiah rather, prayed when he turned his face to the wall, blocked out every other distraction, come on, and positioned and postured himself in a place that the only way he, only direction he had to look was up. Because that's where we are. And that's where we find ourselves. And again, that, 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 that's not to be scary, but it is to speak to us in this moment. And, uh, you know, even in the Word, God did not say, are you all hearing me? God did not say, my house shall be called a house of preaching. He did not say, my house shall be called a house of singing. And I believe in all of that. And it all has its place. But he did say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. If nothing else happens, we're supposed to pray. And a lot of times we've come to church and done everything but pray. And I grew up in church like a few of you did. We took 30 minutes taking prayer requests and prayed about 30 seconds. And then wondered, you know, why we couldn't get a prayer through. If there's ever been a time to get serious about prayer, it's now. And when you look in this text, you find similarities between Hezekiah's day and our day. Obviously, Hezekiah was going through a personal crisis. He was sick. It looked like he was going to die. He had, in fact, been told he was going to die. But not only was there a personal crisis, but there was a national crisis. When you read the context around this. After Solomon died, the kingdom had split into two. And at this point, the northern kingdom, they never had any godly kings, so they fell quicker because leadership makes a difference. They fell quicker. And they'd already fallen to the Assyrians. And you've got to understand, when we run through some of this in Scripture, I mean, you talk about the complete society is in upheaval. I mean, literally, the walls being torn down, the people being dragged into the streets. I mean, this it's chaos. The, the northern kingdom has already fallen, and the southern kingdom is being threatened. It was so bad, now eventually they would fall to the Babylonians, but the Assyrians came, and at one point around this story, the enemy had written a letter. Sometimes the devil writes you a letter. And you need to take it and spread it out before the Lord, which is what Hezekiah did. And God sent an angel and killed 185,000 of the enemy in one night because God's still in control. God's still on the throne. The enemy is kind of the big bad wolf. He likes to huff and puff and, and scare you to death that he's going to blow your house down. But folks, there are some things we can build with that will stand the storm. And pray, that is stronger than the winds that come against us. And prayer is one of them. Listen. Help me, Jesus. If you haven't prayed since you were here last Sunday, you've got a problem. If you haven't cracked a Bible since you were here last Sunday, you've got a problem. We are living in desperate times. Desperate times. And so the nation was in peril. And they didn't know if the nation of Judah was going to survive 
or how long. And, and so there are, are a couple of points of application that I would make there. The nation was at a crossroads. I'm here to tell you, America is at a crossroads. We think America would, could never possibly fall. We are deceived. Who would have ever, my generation saw the Berlin Wall fall. Who thought we'd ever face communism and socialism again? And yet that's the kind of, come on. We're so spoiled. We're spoiled Americans. We don't think, listen, if socialism and communism comes here, it'll do what it's done in every nation around the world. It has always been the enemy of Christian faith. It still is. It does its best to suppress that. There's a spirit behind that. We are at a point where the nation is at a crossroads. It remains to be seen whether we're going to survive or how long we're going to survive or if we're going to survive. America's going to go one direction or the other. We better turn our face to the wall. Quit fussing and blaming the politicians. Judgment begins at the house of God. We've got to get to a place that God is the only recourse that we have to look to. And so... The nation was at a crossroads. But not only do you see a crossroads, you see a correlation between what was happening in the nation and what was happening in Hezekiah's life. Both of them seemed to be going down the drain. Both of them appeared to be circling. Things looked bad. And I want to just remind you today, it's not that anybody is on a on an ego trip because he has an ordination certificate or that he's better than anybody else. But I'm telling you, there is a correlation between what happens in the pastor's life and what happens in the church's life. There's a correlation between what God is doing in his heart and what God can do in the church. I have to understand that if I don't have a prayer life, my church is not going to have a prayer life. It concerns me. It grieves me. I voice it from time to time. I try to do it in the right spirit. I don't want to be cynical. But sometimes I, I have opportunity to sit on boards and committees and some of this stuff. And I try to tell them, listen, we're trying to send guys to some magic church growth conference to pump the numbers up. And half the time he doesn't even have a prayer life. He, he's not even praying and seeking, getting on his face before God. And then we wonder why there's a problem. I cannot lead my church where I've not been. I cannot take them any farther than I myself have gone. There's not going to be any more anointing on my church than there is on my life. And you need to understand that the most important thing that man has to do is pray and have a personal walk with God and get on his face before God. He cannot take you where he's not been. In the book of Acts, when you look at the job description, they understood the apostles. We Acts 6 and 4, we will give ourselves. It means something to give yourself to something. We just want to give God the leftovers, you know. I've got all this sketch. You may think I'm mean, but we've been more interested in Johnny being the star of the football team. We've been more interested in Susie being on the cheerleading squad. And they've been strung out on drugs and sleeping around and on their way to hell. And we cared more about them being popular at school than we did them having a walk with God. And then we wonder why we get in this mess and something's got to change. I'm talking about prayer that changes things. 
that turns your face to the wall. I don't have anywhere to look but up. If God doesn't help me, we're in trouble. And the most important thing, he may not always be where you think he ought to be or do what you think he ought to do. But if he's praying and walking with God and praying for you, that's the most important thing he'll ever do. And sometimes you need to cut some slack and understand that. I've not all, listen. If we were to ask you, you know, what's, what's the pastor's job description? What should a pastor do? We'd get all kind of answers. And uh, I'm afraid a lot of them wouldn't be biblical. Because there's a biblical job description. I never will forget. I was a young pastor, and they sent out a survey. I'm trying to be good, and I feel that meddling spirit, and it just. They sent out this survey, and there's this pie chart, you know, how a pastor spends his time. And they've got these different things. You can check off how much you spend time and, you know, developing leaders and administration and all these different things, and a lot of them are good and important things. But Pastor Sean, so help me, I got, I got to looking at this survey. I wish, I, I wish this were a joke because it's really, you know, it, I mean, it really ought not be this way. But I got to looking at this survey, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, there's no place for prayer on here. I had to write it in by hand. I hope, my God, no wonder the church has got a problem. We're gauging success the same way the world does by numbers and money, how many backsides we can get in our seats and how many dollars are coming in, and we think that's the gauge of success, and there's not even anywhere on here for prayer. If I'm not a man of prayer, I'm not qualified to be in the office. Before I talk with men, i got to talk with God. And some of I keep feeling that same spirit come back. Some of you would do well if you turn loose of some other priorities and make some room for God. Let me just share this quickly. You remember when you were in school and you had this ruled paper? You know what I'm talking about? The lines on it. And, and, and it's got margins, you know. Those margins are there for a reason. For one thing, it brings some sense of order so you can tell what you're looking at. And it concerns me that most of the body of Christ is so undisciplined, there's no order anywhere. And secondly, sometimes something else would come up that I wasn't expecting, that I needed to go back and make a note, and there would be room to write it in the margins. The problem is a big part of us have not left any margin in our life. You've got everything crammed full with every other priority and God's always last. And then when stuff comes up that you weren't planning on, which it inevitably will, then you wonder why there's no room to put God in anywhere. That's free. Somewhere 
You need to leave enough room in the margins that when God calls you to get up and pray and push back the plate and turn off the TV and get off Facebook and skip the ball game and get alone with God, that there's some room somewhere. Now look with me at the prayer and the pushback and the prolonging. First of all, the prayer. Now this amazes me because there's somewhat of a mystery to this. It was prophesied to Hezekiah by no less than Isaiah. You're going to die. Set your house in order. And some of us need to do that. Set your house in order. You're going to die. Now I believe... I was raised Pentecostal. My dad, if he tells you anything about, you know, maybe tall, dark, and handsome runs in your family. Short and dumpy runs in my family. I'm the tallest person in my family. This tells you about the rest of my family. But my dad is a little guy. He'd get to shouting and jump and jump as high as the top of that pulpit. I am Pentecostal. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the prophetic. I don't believe in flakiness. But I do believe in the prophetic. And he gets, Hezekiah gets this prophetic word. You're going to die now. To me, I'm thinking, (laughs) it's a done deal. I better pick out the grave plot. But he goes to prayer. I I don't claim to understand all of this. There are two things that determine the final outcome. One is the purpose of God. But two is prayer. And somehow, in ways that I don't fully understand, even when it looks like it's a done deal, I can still call on the Lord. Woo! I can still pray. I can still get a hold of God. As long as there's breath and I can pray, there's hope. When it looks impossible, pardon me, I, but I've had to share just a little testimony. A few months ago, I got COVID, and I know there's a lot of fear with it, and I'm not trying to engender fear at all. Folks, prayer changes things. I didn't have any pre-existing conditions. There was no good reason for it other than the attack of the devil. And I kept getting worse, and they thought I was going to die. So help me, God. I kept getting worse. My church realized they got to do. We got to do something. They took shifts and prayed all night long. I was as high on oxygen as you could go. The next step would have been to go on the vent. They prayed all night, and two days later, I came home with no oxygen because God turned it around. But I remember I spent twelve days in the hospital and. Five days in ICU. And they watched me like a hawk. I couldn't do anything. They were, they, they were afraid I wasn't going to make it. And uh, my wife would leave me at the hospital. And, but she couldn't get in. And, but when she left me there, the devil whispered in her ear, that's the last time you're going to see him. And, uh, but when I finally got out of ICU and sat down a little bit in the grade of room, they had me hooked up to all this stuff 
And I couldn't go for, far, but I could finally at least sit up in a chair by the bed. They, you know, and they got to put all this garb on, and I understand that, so they didn't come in a lot because there's so much process to go through. So I was in there by myself, and I couldn't go very far. But I remember this day. All I could do was stand up. And I'd stand up. I don't know that this is anything the nurses or the medical staff would have wanted me to do because you can see where my oxygen's taken. But I, I hooked up to all this. I'd stand up and sing every praise song I knew, every one I could think of and make up a few and sing and praise. And while I'd sing and praise and pray to the Lord, I'd watch my oxygen level come back up. Because prayer changes things. I said prayer changes things. When you think your family's beyond hope, when your loved one is getting worse instead of getting better, when the doctor said you're not going to make it, when you've got more month than you do money, prayer still changes things. You can pray until heaven comes down. I've got to sit on a, it's not that big a deal, but I, I've got to sit on a few boards over the years and honored to do so. And honestly, Pastor Sean, you're sending all these requests to the state denominational office, and there's a place for some of that. But listen, over the years, pretty much when I was pastoring, we get in the hearts, every, and my church knows this. Every church I've ever pastored, you know, I mean, it's not like they were standing in line. I got to go because nobody else wanted to. And every church I've ever, if I worried a lot about money, I'd have been dead and gone a long time ago. But every church I've ever pastored was in terrible financial shape when, when I went there. And it never occurred to me, and again, we help where we can, but it never occurred to me to send a letter to the state office. It did occur to me to go in my office and shut the door and get on my face before the Lord and pray until God showed up. Pray until heaven came down and God did what nobody else could do. There have been times I've prayed and in answer to prayer, I remember one time we were needing to do some things in the, in, in the, in the sanctuary I was pastoring in London. God sent in $25,000 from somebody that didn't even come to our church. I'm just telling you, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And as my dad used to say, every tater in the hill, it, it belongs to God. If we aren't careful, we can get hopeless and act like a lot of other people. You know a lot of the media, that's just they're just fear peddlers. They deal in the business of fear. Come on here now. And a lot of people act like, you know, America, you may as well write her off. It's already gone. I know it looks bad, but prayer changes things. Come on. God in Exodus, God would have wiped out Israel if it hadn't been for the prayers of Moses. There was a city of thousands and thousands of people called Nineveh. But God sent Jonah there. It took him a while to get in the right gear, but finally he got there and he stepped into an intercessory place between God and judgment and he stood in the middle until there was a change and they experienced one of the greatest revivals in history. In fact, we refer to that 
verse from Ezekiel, which is great. You know, I looked for a man to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge so that judgment could be avoided. And that's true whether it's your family, your city, your schools. I'm sure you all do some of this too. Before school comes back, I'll tell you one of our main activities with our kids will be taking them to their school to pray. Praying on sight with insight that, that, that God can come into, the, into this mission field we call a public school and show up and something happen for the glory of God. He said, I look for somebody standing in the gap. When you study that, and it's true on whatever level, but part of what he's talking about there is leadership. If I could have found a leader. Listen. Sometimes the only thing that saves you may be whether that man's praying for you. And it'd be nice if he didn't have so many other duties. Minor stuff that somebody else really could take care of so he can do what he's called to do. I, 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 I tell my people, I don't know if they always like it, but all of them, but... If nothing else gets done, if I don't, you know, do whatever else you think I ought to be doing, if nothing else gets done, I promise you this, if God will help, because you're not ultimately the one I'll answer to, He is. And if nothing else gets done, I will pray and have a fresh word from God. When I hit the pulpit. If nothing else happens, I will. If we don't do anything else, I will pray and have a fresh word from God. Because I am convinced of the power of prayer. He said, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, the prayer, we're not beyond hope. Prayer changes things. You also see the pushback. The prophet comes back. I don't claim to understand all of it. Prophetic words already been given. It seems like it's set in stone. It may look like America's going down the tubes, but prayer changes things. Not that we're the only people on the earth, because we're not. But it's already been prophesied you're going to die when the Holy Spirit throws Isaiah into reverse gear. And says, you go back and tell him, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears. I don't know about you, but there have been moments, only reason I made it was because God said, I heard your prayers and I've seen your tears. And he told, sent word to Hezekiah, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. And as a sign of that, he said on the sundial, which basically was their clock, it was a giant clock, the way it was built. And said, We're gonna, I'm going to cause this. It's already gone down. I'm going to push it back ten steps. And basically, he was pushing back time. Now, Hezekiah's life, the course of Hezekiah's life was headed toward death. The course of Judah's existence as a nation was headed toward judgment and destruction. But God said... See, again, there's a correlation. God 
might can do something in a church. God might can do something in a city. God might can do something in a nation if he can find a man. That he can do something in that man. That he can do something in that woman. Amen. That he can do something in that young person. He said it's, it's going in a negative direction, <clears throat> but we're going to push it back. There was a pushback. I don't know about you. I'm sure this is the case here as well. I pastor, we, we've got a bunch of people that were druggies and all that kind of stuff. That There's no secret they know that, that God brought them out. I want to tell you I serve a God that even when things are headed in a neg- negative direction, God is able to push things back. He's, he's able to push things back. I mean, all they, they care about is the next fix and the next high. But you meet Jesus and there's a change and he, he pushes things back. And can I tell you, so that there could be mercy, so that they could have more time. God's not in a hurry to bring judgment. He can and He will eventually as a last resort if it's necessary, but it's not His first choice. And so He said we're going to push things back. God can do it in your life. He can do it in your home, your family, your situation. He can do it in our schools. I believe, and again, we, you know, I, I feel some calling to this, not because I grew up in it, because I grew up in church, but just the grace of God. I believe that God is able and would love to break the stronghold of drug addiction in southeast Kentucky. Understand, and I honor them, but this is not just about my church or this church or one church. This is about God wanting to do something. And I believe God can do something in southeast Kentucky that the nations of the earth hear about because prayer changes things. And we need God to come. You may need it in your life. You may need it in your marriage. We need it in America, certainly. We need God to come and push things back. That's what we're praying for, to give us some mercy. I've been part of some prayer calls about the last 28 days. Prayer ministries connected across the nation. You get on the phone, people praying from all over America from 6 in the morning till midnight for 28 days. And then they had a, a gathering. I didn't get to, get to go to it, but in Kansas, Lebanon, Kansas, in the geographic center of the nation, under a tent, 3,000 people gathered. Folks, we got to get serious about this prayer thing because we got to have a pushback because our time is short if we don't. I really, I'm not trying to scare you, but God will prepare us. I really don't. I know this generation, they think it doesn't matter all, you know, whatever. I really don't want my grandkids to grow up in a communist nation. There's a pushback, but there's also a prolonging. Listen, when you, when you can't get victory over that pornography addiction, God can push things back. When you can't get victory in your own strength, if you could have done it by now, you would have. You can't get victory over your anger issues or your resentment for what somebody did or did not do for you. God can push things back. But there's a prolonging. God said, I'll give him 
15 years. Now, you need to, is everybody with me? You, you need to understand what this meant not only for the personal life of Hezekiah, but for the life of the nation. Did you know, I'm thankful for what God does in my life, but ultimately it's not just about me. God has some larger purposes. God moved in Esther's life, but it wasn't all about Esther. God was trying to save his people from genocide. God cares about us. He cares about you. But he cares about mankind. He has a redemptive purpose that goes all the way back to Calvary. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God's trying to do something in the heart of man. And so, <clears throat> it's bigger than just me, but this point when Hezekiah would have died apart from the intervention of God he had not fathered any children yet but when he got this extension, this prolonging of his life he fathered a son now his son see God sees the big picture, not just one generation every, even if everything doesn't happen in my generation I want to set up my kids and grandkids to have more than I did. My grandbaby's a toddler. And real quick, and she, we've had to pray through some physical issues, and God's been good, and there's some things we're still praying about. And her feet are a little large, but she runs all over the place, and they didn't know if she'd be able to walk without some therapy, but... She's not having any problem. And real quick, I can be moved to tears and pray and declare over her, God, how lovely are the feet of those who bring good news. Come on, there's got to be something that's real enough that lasts beyond my lifetime that is passed to another generation. Hezekiah has a son named Manasseh, and he's very evil. And Manasseh has a son named Ammon who is evil. But finally, there's a great-grandson of Hezekiah born named Josiah. And Josiah came to the throne as a kid, but he had a heart for God. And they rediscovered the book, the Word of God, in the house of God that had been lost and the high places were torn down. And it was one of the greatest revivals in Israel's history. And the people were brought back to God. See, that was because Hezekiah got 15 more years. But because Hezekiah got 15 more years, and would eventually, see, there's stuff beyond what we see from where we are. He would have a great grandson named Josiah, and the nation of Judah would last almost another 100 years before judgment would come. They lasted about a hundred years longer than the northern kingdom did. And a lot of it was because of what happened right here in Isaiah 38 because Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and believed he could pray until prayer changed things. And you say, now I know we're accelerating into the end times and I understand the stuff that's prophesied in Daniel and Revelation, some of that and and there's going to come a point of 
of judgment and those events of the last days. I, I'm, I'm not stupid. I understand some of that will come eventually. You say, well, Pastor, if it's coming eventually anyway, then why does it matter? Two reasons. Number one, God said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And here's the second reason. You say, if it's coming sooner or later anyway, why does it matter? I'll tell you why. How about my kids and my grandkids and your grandkids? I don't want to see judgment come in my generation, but I don't want to see judgment come on them either. And what happened was, because of Hezekiah's prayer, there was a pushback and a prolonging, and it gave time for revival so that there were other generations that experienced a real relationship with God before judgment came. And it was too late. You cannot imagine. You really begin to study. And again, this is not a scare tactic. God doesn't speak to us to scare us, but to prepare us. When you really dig into the depths of revelation and the, the chaos of society, there are going to be a, be a lot of people die during the tribulation. I plan to already be in the presence of the Lord. Not because I don't think God would ever let me go through anything, but because some of it gets so bad that it's not in the last days, it's not just suffering anymore, it's the wrath of God. And Jesus took my wrath at Calvary that I should have experienced. So I, I, it, it is not my, my intent to scare you today. In the last year and a half, I've preached on the end times more than I've ever preached in my life. Not because I was trying to scare people, but because it is a tremendous source of strength and comfort to me. If God knows and cares, if He cares enough to know everything that's already, already know everything that's going to happen and tell me what's going to happen, that means He's in charge and I can trust Him and it's going to be alright. Somebody praise Him. Amen. So my intent is not to scare, but we need a wake-up call somewhere. Because the American church is a joke. I said the American church is a joke. What is it? You may as well say amen or oh my one, whatever it was. The only thing that's going to change it is people who pray. A remnant that prays, that still believes that even when we may be afraid we've gone too far, prayer, prayer changes things. I remember and 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 I, I I know I'm not the only one, but it's just my experience. 
I remember I started preaching when I was a kid. I remember being a teenager. Mom and dad were pastors. And I remember there, there were things I didn't do well. But I remember being a teenager and those were in the days before we packed one of these everywhere you went. Which I am not a fan of. I do because it's a necessary evil. <laughs> and, uh, you know, before you had the earbuds and the, you know, all that stuff that are synced to your phone. I remember being a teenager and later on they'd get me a a stereo but I remember having a tape deck mom and dad be in the bed in another room and laying in the bed as a teenager and turn it down as low as I could and still hear it so I didn't disturb anybody and go to sleep listening to men of God preach under the anointing and couldn't explain it all, but it stirs something on the inside of me. I remember being a kid and going to sleep and listening to my dad pray. You could hear him pray all over the house. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm talking about hunger and passion. That not everything is taught, some things are taught. Some things are caught. And you don't have to be on an ego trip. You know? Come here, Pastor. One of the best things you can do is whether it's your pastor or somebody else that God places in your life, get up next to a man or a woman of God and walk with them. Not cause... You know, you think they're anything in and of themselves, but and wherever I see an anointing, I'm going to gravitate toward it. I'm going to get up close to it. I'm going to spend time with it, and I'm going to pray to God. Some of it rubs off on me.